0: Hey everyone. Welcome back to Tent Talks. It's me, Stacy, by myself this week. I want to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's going to be a journey. So buckle up because there's a lot of twists and turns. And I guess before I start this episode, oh, you guys, I uh, I love this. And it goes in a lot of different directions. But let me tell you about how my brain works. I took a strength-based test. It's like a positive psychology, and it it tells you like what your top strengths are because the idea behind it is that if you focus on the things that you're good at, you can really have a chance to excel at those in this lifetime. If you focus on the things that you're shitty at, you might just maybe become mediocre or maybe a little bit good. But when you focus on your strengths, You can really capitalize on that and get far in this life. So one of my strengths, it is my number one strength is connectedness. And that's my ability to find connections in literally everything. And that's what my brain spends the majority of the time doing. It's finding connections. So as today, as we're talking about this particular topic, please keep in mind, that my brain does know how it all connects. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about witches. (laughs) It's kind of my favorite season. I'm a Scorpio rising and I feel like I really shine in the fall. There's one thing in particular that I do and it's that I volunteer to read tarot at parties and I've been doing this for years. In years past, I've done it for this organization that they collect the money and they give it to the Women and Children and Crisis Center. And also there's another affiliate that they give the money to, but it's, it's just these foundations that help women. And so that's typically where I volunteer my tarot reading services. But after COVID, there was some weird, you know, stuff with parties and gatherings and This year, there was an invite to go to this witch's party and they were looking for a tarot reader. And I signed up to go. And with that same spirit of generosity in mind, the person who I was volunteering for, it was her birthday, and she's a healer in the community. And she does body work and she helps women connect to their body and their wombs. Shout out to Rita, if you're listening. Anyway, I wanted to volunteer for her witch party because that's how I like to show up. I like to dress up. I like to get witchy. I like to hang out with women who are not afraid of their witchy selves. There's just something that really lights my soul on fire. And I've always been interested in the occult. I've always loved astrology. I've always loved witch stuff. I don't know. It's just somewhere in my soul. And as I've really, really, really studied about witches as an adult, I kind of know why. But we'll get to that later. I want to talk to you about the witch party last night. First of all, I was volunteering my services and I was doing it as an offering to a healer in the community to show some reciprocity. And the thing about for me stepping into community, and I mentioned this before, is that I have a lot of reservations. Not only was I somebody who was carrying out dynamics that I don't agree with now, I see how those dynamics get recycled and refurbished and passed around. And I guess why I'm saying that is I go into community spaces with caution. And I didn't know anything about this party, but I went and it was in a gated community. There was some impersonalizations and some... Like, I didn't know anybody there. I knew there was sort of... This collective women gathering around doing healing together. I knew that there were a couple of things that I thought, hmm, I don't really align with that. Hmm, I don't really agree with that. But I was struck by this woman presenter that was saying, like, you are safe in my home. This is a safe place for you to be you. And I thought, no, this isn't. This is a gated community that I would not ever have access to unless I were volunteering my services at this party where I'm hoping that all the proceeds go to this healer. That's what I was hoping. Now that I'm here, I don't know. Are we paying to use your yard and your gated community for our party? Are you hosting it? Like what's going on? And I recognize in myself, you know, there's poverty trauma talking, but why, why do we have the need to have gated communities with fucking access codes? Like it just blows my mind. Now I have been in this community before because I've done out calls in the area for which I have not returned to do the massages because I got asked why I was charging so much by a multimillionaire, why I was charging more than $100 for an alcohol massage. I don't understand that. That that Now, that's an, a real tangent. Back to the point of it, most of these people that were at this party, they would not be welcome in this community because there's a literal gate blocking people out from it. But But here we are supporting this woman on her birthday and going to this community, to have this party. And and then there were other things that were kind of being thrown around, like, like being free to express and try on different parts of our identity. And what I know for sure is that women have a witch wound. And it is something inside of us where we're attracted to it, we're drawn to it, we're afraid of it, we want to embody it, we want to play with it, we want to ignore it, completely dissociate from it. But it is a witch wound. And the witch wound is really hard to pinpoint. Because it's still a current thing that's happening. And it came from another time in another place Uh, What is this all about? Does it have to do with the occult? Does it have to do with magic? Does it have to do with healers, midwives? Like, what is it about this witch wound? Why is it so present in women? You do not hear men talking about a warlock wound or being enchanted by magical things, but almost all women that I know of, I've said this a million times, I come from a very conservative, very Mormon very Christian oriented community. And I'm telling you the witch population around here is popping. And we're all attracted to it, or completely repelled by it. And we don't know why. Some of us do. Some of us don't. As somebody who's taken a deep dive in this particular topic, I want to talk about it. So stick with me here. There's this woman, Perdita Finn. She wrote a beautiful book called The Way of the Rose. On Instagram right now, she's doing a series called The Season of the Witch. And I've been following pretty closely and carefully her content because she's a scholar and she knows her stuff. And she's kind of breaking down the witch wound. And Janet Connor, who's also a scholar and an author, she's been breaking down the witch wound. She does like an email list every Sunday she comes out. She took back the witch archetype, I think in 2020. She's a woman in her probably 60s or 70s, and she discovered that that was the piece in her being that she hadn't fully explored. And I think there's a lot of these really brilliant women who are all of a sudden turning to the witch and looking at what is this real connection here. So back to Perdita Finn, her Instagram right now is really hot for me. And I'm hot for it. (laughs) I'm reading all of her posts. And she kind of gives this heritage and a close look. So for those of us with European background and ancestry, this is a particularly important part of what makes up your very essence, your bones, your genetics, your DNA, your shared genetic history is looking at the witch wound. So there is a book that was written in the 15th century. And I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but it's the Malleus Maleficarium. And in the 15th century was when the printing press came out. And there were two books that had the highest volume of reprinting. One was this Malleus Maleficarium book, and the other was the Bible. What's interesting about this information is that we're all kind of familiar with the Bible, and this other book is a book on how to identify a witch. So this woman, Perdita Finn, she read this book, and after she read it, she was so deeply traumatized that she didn't want to study history anymore and completely like shifted her area of study because it was so deeply traumatizing. She has set up the information in her brain. Now that she's had enough distance from this book, enough time, she's had a, a career, she's like, she's recircling this information now with greater insight. And I I love when people do this because sometimes we are so traumatized by something and then it takes us years maybe careers later to sort it out. But she refers to this as cataclysmic misogyny. And I just loved that phraseology. So essentially, she tells the story of women and the earth. And the first time I had ever heard this really parallel experience of the earth and women was from Sharon Blackie in her book of Women Rose Rooted. And it started with agriculture. Because when we were hunters and gatherers, we would move with the seasons of the earth and we, we would move and relocate. But when we increased agriculture. And when we made more homesteads, then we had to become more knowledgeable about plant life and at the mercy of weather and patterns. And it was really this domestication of us, of animals, of really working with plant life. And what that did for women's bodies was it increased their fertility because they were eating more regularly and they had access to food. And it was because of domestication and agriculture. And I didn't realize that that paralleled women's fertility so much, which helped increase the population significantly. So as soon as we started increasing population, and women were really fertile and making babies the demands for food and for homes and for people to work the land and for provisions it became so competitive because we weren't really working with that before because we were moving and hunting and gathering and you know not getting too tied down to a location But once we started doing that, because the population was increasing and our demands and our needs were increasing, that created a lot of war and a lot of people fighting for resources. So who is the problem of this? Like, why? Women, because they're producing these kids and it's becoming a problem. So as the reliability of food increases, the fertility increases, the demand increases, the war increases, what's the cause? Women. And it feels really weird to say that, but it also makes a lot of sense why people were thinking that way. And actually, the true original villain or enemy or person that we can blame, maybe scapegoat is the right word, is the grandmother. Because the grandmother can't work, she can't bear children, she's just taking up resources. She maybe helped give us kids and helped rear up things, but now that she's old and barren, and can't really provide anything. She's just taking up space. And to hear that information that the grandmother is in those times considered the enemy, the person that we blame all the problems on, I just, I just want to take a moment and pause and think about how much that narrative has changed or stayed the same. And I want to pause and point out that we say things differently in this community. Oh, well, women often outlive men and they need care. And if you know a woman who lives alone, who's not Mormon or not highly religious or doesn't have children, who is caring for her? Who is caring for the women? Often these women didn't have incomes because they spent their lives raising their children. I'm thinking of my grandmother specifically, who she was living alone. Her neighbors were complaining that she was being very demanding because she had needs, because she was a human, because she needed things like groceries and help up the stairs carrying stuff and so the church along with the neighbors called my family and they were like hey this this lady she's asking for too much you guys need to handle this as a family so what did we do what did my family do i was in my i was over 18 but i want to say i was maybe 18 or 19 We got rid of her home and put her in a retirement community. And after she had a fall in the retirement community, she could no longer stay because there's like such a high demand for retirement communities because nobody wants to go to a hospice place. But what did we do? We took my grandmother and we put her in hospice care. She had five children. She has five kids. None of those kids could take grandma in. And there's a lot of reasons and I'm not blaming anybody. There's no blame here. It's just when I hear this stuff and I say, "No way, that's not true. W- women grandmother are not the um problem. They're not demanding, they're not worth blaming for anything. I've seen this in my own life hundreds Of years later, this is still the same narrative. It just looks different. It looks different, but it's the same. Now, back to this witch stuff. What does this have to do with witches? This book, How to Identify a Witch, she was an old woman. She wasn't associated with the occult. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't, I mean, she could have been, but but people have tried to explain over and over again, who is the witch? What were the identifiers? The biggest identifying factor is that she was old. And in these times, yeah, she knew about herbs because guess what? Everybody fucking did. Yeah, she may have helped people have babies because that's what women did. They took care of each other. They lived in communities. There wasn't this separation. We have so much separation between plants, between the animal kingdom, between our bodies, between these thresholds of bodies that, you know, when we're talking about it now, we're saying, oh, the witch wound, it was like the healers. It was older women it was older women. It was older women. And I don't know how I know this to be true other than I live in a society, again, taking this witch wound back to modern day. What is every woman afraid to do? Age. Why is she afraid to age? We've created a whole community based on denying death and getting older. Why can't we be allowed to age? Men can age and they look hot when they're older. Oh, I love when men go gray. They just get better with age. We don't say that about women. What we do with women is we force them into plastic surgery. We silence them. What are we doing to women? What are we doing to women? At this witch party last night, Somebody, I overheard this conversation, somebody was giving somebody else a hug. And she was like, Oh, I just got my tits done. I wish I could hug you tighter. And it was just like laughing and it's okay. Women can get any kind of surgery they want. I don't care about that. That's not the point. The point is why, why do women get their tits done? There are some people who surgically get it done for like health reasons and, and things, but like this idea, I mean, the amount of physical pain, the amount of money that women spend to look younger or to modify their bodies. Why do we do it? Is it because deep down we're really afraid of men? We're really afraid of the community beliefs at large, that we have nothing to offer if we don't appear and extend that fertility, that beautiful period where we have something to offer our communities. Could this perhaps be a hundred, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of misogyny and beliefs and ways that we have learned how to pivot and learned how to function in this society that says, we don't need you and we don't want you after a certain age and you're no good and you should shut up and die. This seems like very serious and very like, your knee jerk reaction is no. But then when you stop and think about it really carefully, the horror is true. That's the scary thing. It's, it's a horror that's actually true. It's really true. So when we think about the 15th century and this book being the second most published book after the Bible, we also kind of realize that the Bible goes through a series of modifications and edits What were these edits? I heard this all the time growing up in Mormon church. Like the Bible's been edited, been revised. What were they editing out? We never really addressed all those edits. But I'm going to tell you what they were editing out women's voices. They were editing out women. They were silencing women. They were taking women out of the Bible. And they were associating women with a couple of archetypes, which are much like the whore, the prostitute, the original sinner. Why? Why do we do that to women? Well, we had to suppress women. We had to control their fertility. We had to control them. We had to control their fertility. It was a control tactic to silence them. In fact, As we were going through the Renaissance, which is where, by the way, a lot of our modern philosophy and scientific community were still building off of those ideas from the Renaissance, a lot of people who were gathering data, what they were doing is they were cutting out the vocal cords of animals so that they wouldn't have to hear the sounds of torture that they were forcing upon these animals to learn more. But as a symbol, that's what we've done. We've silenced nature. We've silenced women and we've silenced nature. We've silenced nature by by the ways in which we use the land and don't use the land and mono farm certain products and use all these pesticides and herbicides, deplete the soil, the way that we mass produce animals for consumption, the inhumanity that we put upon these creatures, because we're so removed from natural rhythms and life and we're so conditioned there is such a high demand for these products that our cognitive dissonance is so great that that we don't care if we torture living beings we don't care if we deplete the earth the soil the air the waters because we're doing it to feed this massive population so there's like this huge dissonance that we put up with and and we explain it away. And in fact, I remember as a kid having these conversations with my dad, probably based off of some, you know, Bible story or something that had happened at home with one of the animals, but I remember saying, "Well, do you think that animals have feelings?" Because we had a, we had house, well, we had outside cats, but we had an inside outside dog and she could come inside and she would stay outside. But when it was like really cold or the conditions were really hot, or it felt like maybe she wasn't thriving or happy, I would be having these conversations, begging my adult figures. And and I don't blame my parents or my dad for being so far removed from the truth That of course, animals are feeling-sensing beings. They have nervous systems after all. But we're just so othering them so that we can continue to torture them and use them for our resources without thinking about it. And I'm not suggesting veganism or vegetarianism or anything like that. I'm just pointing out that this conditioning has happened over centuries where we're silencing things for our own benefit, and then we're pretending that it's okay to be silenced. I know this is a lot of information, and I know it's really intense, and I recognize that. This is part one, but I guess what I want to leave this conversation with is do you know older women in the community? Do you know older women in the community who are not attached to a man? Do you know older women in the community who are not part of a predominant religion? Do you know how those women get cared about? What was the care of your grandmothers? How have your grandmothers been cared for? Are they valued in society? Are they seen as contributors? Are they seen as burdens? Are they seen as people who can express and talk and share their truth? What is your relationship like with your elders, particularly your woman elders? And there is a lot of knee-jerk information here, but I do want you to sit with, and I want you to think about these older women and what is happening to them and how community is holding and caring for them outside of religion outside of religion. We're going to pick up this conversation next week. And I hope that you'll stick around because I know that it's twisty and turny and a lot of information. And thank you for sticking with me so far. And we'll see you next week.